and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious, or just curious, you've come to the right place. Welcome to episode 20. This week, we'll be chatting to John, who's come to talk to us about being young, sober, and working step one. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Good. Thanks for coming. Um, So before we start, we'll have a question from a listener. Arthur says, I've been going to meetings, but I'm not sure I'm an alcoholic because I can go for days or weeks without drinking. How do I know if the 12 steps are right for me? John, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I'll just start by saying I'm not saying I'm in any 12-step program necessarily, although I have been around a lot of people that do the 12 steps. Um, I've helped people around that, so I, I can speak informed on that topic. So the question was, I can stop drinking for extended periods of time. How do I know if the 12 steps are right for me? Yeah. Um, It's an interesting question uh, because it's a really individual thing. Um, For me, my story, which I guess, I don't know if I'll get in, how I'll get into it per se, but um, I could stop for periods of time and I was more into uh, drugs than alcohol and I didn't even drink that much but the thing was is that when I when I drank didn't go well and you know it uh I would what it was for me was I would be powerless over my thoughts and I'd lose control of my mind and and that was what you know I have seen the 12 steps help other people with is with their mind starts with the drinking but the the question is is do you have the willingness to do that work and do you want to change your mind? Because yeah. the goal, the goal of it is a psychic change. It's good. You stop drinking, but the ultimate goal is a psychic change uh, and a spiritual experience. So that's yeah. what you that's the goal. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it's this question, I I had that exact experience. Like I I could go for weeks. There was even a point where I went for three months without drinking, yeah. but I was insane three months without the steps and without any kind of fellowship or anything without any support and I was mad I was absolutely insane and what I realized when I heard people sharing and also read the bit in the big book um that talks about we stopped in time which says like you know I hadn't lost my family I hadn't lost a job I hadn't lost really that many friends like but the fact is my thinking was a complete disaster and every time I woke up after having had a drink I wished that I hadn't but yeah. every time I tried to go to like a situation where there was alcohol and say, I'm only going to have one, I, I never could. I couldn't control it. And so in the end, listening to what people shared, I realized, yeah, actually, I am supposed to be here, you know? Yeah, the, the thing is that I was thinking about before we started was that, like I said, I could stop, but I was miserable when I wasn't using really specifically more drugs like i was absolutely miserable like i had to stop uh let's say very inconveniently and i think you know that that was that's the reality sometimes of getting sober young you know i was having a good time at some of the time i was hurting inside and stuff like that but you know it was about to be i'm from the u.s so it was about to i graduate from high school and it was supposed to be the best summer of my life and then i was locked up in canada (laughs) in a treatment center for most of the summer so in any case it you know it took away the fun but so I guess you just for our listener 
how do you know if the 12 steps are right for you? I guess the only way to do that would be to try it honestly. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, then I don't think you'll ever really know. And, you know, there's a saying that I've heard, it's maybe a bit unpopular, but they say that uh, AA is not for people who want it. It's not for people who need it, it's for the people who do it. Yeah. And the, the people who do it and live it and are going for that spiritual awakening and the psychic change are oftentimes people who make it. Yeah. So. 100%. Jack, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, before I, I started, um, it was the, it, there was fear of the whole, the whole fellowship. The whole, you know, I didn't know anything about really the 12 steps before I, I started. And um, I would say, you know, just recognize the fear. And if you can get over the fear, then as John says, just trying and you know seeing where you get to it may mean that you jump in with both feet it may mean that you just have you know it gives you some understanding of what it's trying to to do but any of that will should provide benefit to you now or you know potentially in the future if you don't feel like it's right for you exactly you know right now um and you know just get over that initial fear because i think all of us here probably realize that that fear is um we think that's stupid after we uh, <laughs> after we've got it. So it's uh, yeah, give it a go. And if you don't like it, you don't. You know, no one's no one's holding you in. And um, if you do, then you know you can put both feet in and and um, you know go at it like like we have um, hard and and go through the whole the whole program. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Jack. Um, so before we get into step one. Um, John, do you just want to give us a little bit of background? So how long you've been sober and what brought yeah. you to sobriety? Yeah, so uh, I got sober on April 6, 2013. Uh, so I've been sober for eight years. Um, I got sober at the age of 19. I was uh, in university in the U.S. Um, the why uh i guess it may be a little different for everyone but for me frankly the the um my alcoholism which i identify you know as the behavior and the thinking which drives the addictive behavior had far surpassed the frequency and level at which i was i was drinking and using um but from what i could recognize the way that i was thinking was so different than someone who was my age and like, there's just the stuff I would say, like people would be like, what are you talking about? You know, but it was, it was like living in this prison of my own mind. And I always, you know, thought it was so different from everybody else. And you, know, you hear people talk about that, but it, it's one thing to say, and it's another thing to feel it. Um, and then to feel the shame and the guilt and the loneliness and all the things that come with that. So the, that's in hindsight, that's why I ended up doing it. But at the time, it was because I was failing classes and everybody was mad at me and I didn't have a lot of friends because <laughs> I was not very nice. Um, and, you know, I, I was, I was a lot nicer uh, usually when I was in high school before I went to treatment. But once I went to treatment and I came out, I was not nice anymore. It was the reality of what I was headed toward, even though I wasn't there. And that, you know, that's part of the challenge is like once, you know, once I, once I started, being exposed to recovery, I couldn't hide from it anymore. 
and that's that's what accelerated it so much was that you know I, I just knew i was lying to myself and i say you know eventually eventually i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to stop doing this um but i can't stop yet because i have to and that's that's part of the problem right is that even though I knew this is, you know, normal person, maybe be like, you know, this is, I'm getting a lot of warning signs. This, this might not be headed in the right direction. I said, well, I know it's going to blow up in my face, but there are these things I have to do before I can stop. Crazy. So yeah, the two-sided thing. Yeah. Amazing. We, um, so in preparation for this episode, Jack and I reread um, step one and the 12 and 12, and we were literally just before you came on, we were talking about, this bit that says um, when one alcoholic had planted in the mind of another, the true nature of his malady, that person could never be the same again. And I've heard that. I've heard that so many times. I mean, I, I was very blessed in the sense that I, when I came in, I haven't, I haven't picked up a drink since I came in and um, you know, I know that that necessarily hasn't necessarily been the story for everyone because you know, some people have a need to relapse in order to, to get their step one. Yeah. Um, but I've heard people who've gone out say, you know, I had a belly full of alcohol and a mind full of AA. And yeah. that once they know what it's about, they can't drink the way that they that they would have because they know they know that what AA is and they, they know that they're an alcoholic and it kind of takes the almost takes the fun out of it. Um, yeah. So in terms of step one, um, what, what was your experience of that? How did, how did that feel and how did that work for you? Um, well, first off, my, my friend told me that there's a part in that book, the 12 and 12 that says, uh, until he so humbles himself, his sobriety will be precarious of real happiness. He will find none at all, none at all. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of humility that I would say comes in admitting powerlessness over these things, especially at a young age, because there's so many more excuses, I feel like, like, the, you know, my age, I'm in school, or maybe not in school, but, you know, I was in school, uh, everybody else is doing it, I'm not as bad as those, those other people, um, you know, everybody else around you is to some extent doing the same thing but they're not thinking the same way about it and they're not they're not second guessing every decision that they make likely can't say this for everyone you know but but i realized that other people were doing the same thing and they weren't thinking you know what's going to happen am i okay like should i be doing this i don't know this is bad you know it was it you know it was like that but yeah i mean i think step one talks about uh being powerless i mean that you know the powerlessness of the mind is what I was talking about. I think getting sober young, you know, like sometimes the using is out of control, but other times like it's just, you're just not happy. And like, you know, where it's headed, whether it's from seeing other people, you know, where it's headed, hearing stories of other people in recovery, what it was like for them, or, you know, just, yeah, I mean, you just feel it. And um, I think what was most important for me was this idea of an unmanageable life. Uh, because even though I didn't have a lot of friends, uh, I isolated myself from other people. Um, I had some really unhealthy other behaviors, uh, you know, whether it be with nicotine and caffeine and other things. Um, I still thought 
I didn't need the same level of help. I still thought, ah, you know, it's okay. Like I'll figure it out. And then what I had to do was I ended up being so insane after. So, you know, if people here are wondering, you know, maybe I can just go to meetings, hang out, you know, get sit in the back row, text on my cell phone. We talked about it the other day, you know, be on the phone, whatever. Right. I'll just hang out, you know, I'll smoke cigarettes. It's all good. Good luck because straight up, because I was telling how I see it because you don't get it by osmosis in that way. You could sit there, you could, you could, you know, be an observer. But for me, I had to be a participant, you know, and I had to become a member of a group and get honest with people. And, you know, they say, drop the rock, like tell the truth. And the reality was, is I was unable to be honest with myself. And the, the crazy thing is, is I didn't even realize that. I didn't even know that. And you know what they say about alcoholism where I come from is it's the only disease that your, your body and your mind tells you you don't have. Yes. But really your mind. It's like, no, nah, you know, wake up and no, nah, it's fine. It's fine. You know, and, and, uh, and that's the hard thing. And, you know, I found too, when I like schedule out a day, right. Well, I wouldn't schedule anything. Let's be clear about that. I couldn't get out of bed before 11 o'clock in the morning um, to save my life, literally. Uh, once I would start doing something on any given day, I couldn't maintain any type of sobriety after that. I'd have to go to bed under the influence or doing that thing. So that kind of just gives you an idea. So yeah, the unmanageable life. I mean, you know, the thoughts and then I'll digress here, but the thoughts of, you know, when getting sober, we're like, well, I'm going to stop failing classes and then I'm going to buy up. I had already bought, this is, this is actually a great story to tell. I had already bought um, the things that I was going to use. I had, I had planned a relapse. I was going to go to this huge rave in Las Vegas. It's like 120,000 people, uh, you know, do, do the whole nine, had it all planned. And then this whole unmanageable life thing came into play because I took some actions that caused other people to get hurt. And I wasn't under the influence. I didn't have a sober mind. I had a sober body. And it was that night where I said, I have to stop. And to be honest, like the way it felt was I was about to be in some serious trouble. And it was almost like I need to like this sounds dramatic, but like I need to like go into hiding. Like I need to go off the radar for a while. And I never had that experience before. But and I asked people, can you help me? Will you bail me out? I said, no, figure it out yourself. If they didn't do that, I might not be sober today. Mm. And, you know, what's so crazy is that I went back later to make amends for the situation to this person. And it had been years. And this particular thing had been holding me up and, you know, weighing on me. And I had so much shame and so much guilt and so much remorse. And I go and I, I amend this with this person. I make amends. And I go, you know, what was it like for you to go? Oh yeah, man, it's all good. You know, I just kept going, doing the same thing, party on. Wow. That was some crazy stuff we had. And like, the reality is, is that that night was, the premise that started my true recovery. So I wasn't doing that at that point. I wasn't doing it for anyone else. I was doing it for myself. Mm. And that's ultimately what had to happen because it just couldn't do it for other people. I had to do it for me. It would have been inauthentic. Yeah. A hundred percent. Did you feel John that you got step one, you know, immediately, obviously 19 was young to come, uh, 
you know, to come to the, the program. Um, but did that happen gradually over time or did it just hit a note with you straight away? I mean, I think it's, it's taken many, many years to recognize what a manageability really looks like. You know, the challenging thing that I always say now about getting so young is that, you know, you make the mistakes that a 20, 21 year old up to, you know, up to 25, whatever, right? You make the same mistakes a lot of the time that those people would make, except you walk through them sober. And sometimes that's a real gift, but other times it's very punishing because you don't have something to, to medicate those feelings. The only medication, right, is a, is a program of recovery, which we're talking about today. And if you're not always steady on that, it can be, it can be really difficult. So I forget what the question was, but it's just, <laughs> just whether, whether you got a step, whether you got a step one straight away, you know, when you're 19, because obviously yeah. awareness at that age is for most people, not quite what it is, you know, yeah. in the twenties. I mean, like I said, you know, the using type of thing was quite apparent because even though I wasn't taking the things when I was in contact with them and involved, it was a say, it was even, it was maybe even worse. It, because I, yeah, so it's the insanity of the whole thing, right? Is that, you know, I kept hanging out with the same people. I kept doing the same things, you know, and, and it was even worse. So, yeah, I, I could admit I was powerless, but I, again, I think the second half is so important, unmanageable life, because, you know, there's a lot of things that young people do that are maybe unmanageable as well. So, so that's why I'd say is, you know, the hardest part was like, you know, admitting the unmanageability. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think the other thing that I that I got from what you said and from reading about step one is, you know, there there were times in in my early sobriety where my feelings were so big and so confusing yeah, and just totally. just felt so ginormous. And great word. What having yeah, what having my step one meant for me in those early days, probably for the whole of my first year, was. Yeah no matter how difficult life feels there is nothing that taking a drink is not going to make worse and so at four months I was admitted to hospital um because I had a suicide attempt and um the thing that my sponsor always reminds me of is you know, when I'm struggling now and I'm, I either feel like picking up a drink or just I'm craving or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I really feel like drinking. Like, and I live by myself. So I get that sneaky little thought that's like, nobody would know. Like I could just go to the shop and come back to my flat yeah. and no one would know. And my sponsor always says to me, Alex, you were hospitalized because you wanted to commit suicide and you didn't, oh, pick, yeah. up, and you didn't pick up a drink. Mm -hmm. If you can do that and not pick up a drink, you can, you can deal with anything and not pick up a drink. And I think for me, that was that was the meaningfulness or if I don't even know if that's a word and the power of step one is when you really, really fully, like you said, humble yourself and admit that you are completely powerless over alcohol and that when alcohol is in your life and alcoholism is in your thinking, your life can become unmanageable or is unmanageable. Oh. And when you accept that, you don't need to pick up a drink. So I have a great and a little thing right here because I just had, I'm not gonna get into what exactly happened out of respect for the person, but there was someone who I had been around 
helping for a period of time. And this is a great, great way to talk about how the relapse happens long before the drink is taken. So what it started with, you know, this person showing some level of commitment, a lot of reluctance, but, you know, enough commitment to move forward. It started with drinking non-alcoholic beers. Started with that. Then it was, I have a bottle. I'm keeping, I'm keeping a bottle of rum in my room so I can desensitize myself to being around alcohol. What? That's nuts. Then it was, then it was, I'm, I'm, gonna smoke tobacco out of a bong at a frat party that may yeah that's no that seems reasonable for someone in recovery then it was then it was i was cooking with wine i was cooking with wine and i put the bottle to my lips and then i remembered i wasn't supposed to drink and then it was i'm getting high again so that was over like three two months three months but you see like the, the insanity and like, you know, what, what that person's life was like before. And I, you know, I have a lot of love for this person, you know, seeing, having the compassion and the empathy and seeing what their life was like before to I'm cooking with wine now when everything, everything is at risk, everything is on the table. That's, that's the risk that people are willing to take because they're in so much pain or whatever. They can't be honest or something like that, you know? And so like I said, you know, the relapse starts long before you take the drink, you know, and oftentimes what people do is they do the steps in reverse. So, yeah, I mean, I can say for me too, like I've had experience where, you know, when I had around five years where this is something I talk about pretty frequently where the wheels fell off the bus and I wanted to live spiritually on my own terms and that just doesn't work. No. Yeah. Jack, what was your experience of step one like? pretty quick and hard so I didn't know anything about the 12-step program yet before um before I did know about it and um I think within three or four days uh of speaking to my temporary sponsor at the time um and so we went through a written step one um which is uh yeah, five reasons your life um, has become unmanageable um, and five reasons you're powerless over alcohol, five examples of each one. Um, and once I've written those down and looked at them, I just knew, and I think, you know, I'm only 10 months or whatever in now right to the program, but um, looking at that paper, reading it to my sponsor at the time um, and, you know, I, I think I, I I think I knew it's weird the kind of admitting piece because part of you knows part of you doesn't part of you is fighting that and there's a battle between the two and like I think at one point one just gives up yeah <laughs> and, um, but it's like you know in your at the time it's two rational thoughts in it, you have two rational parts of your head which are saying different different things and um, yeah, at some point, I think one of those just gives up and, and I, f I feel grateful now that it, it hit me hard and, and quickly and, you know, 
I didn't lose every single thing along along the way. Although um, you know I've got stuff to, that I need to to build back. Um, but yeah, that was my experience. And but I know everyone's different. And I sw- as well, I, I feel quite grateful because I see people come, you know, come in and they don't quite have it. But as we said in the twelve and twelve, you know, like it can be once the seed is planted, which is the most important thing. People can hit it at their own time in their own way um, along the journey, as long as they are willing to put the actions in um, to, to get there. And to do that, they need to need it um, rather and you know rather than just a little bit worried about their relationship with alcohol they need to understand that they are and they need to accept that they're powerless and and their life is unmanageable and and then that gives them you know I don't think alcoholics are particularly you know across the board you know like you said John you used to wake up late it's like there's a lot of alcoholics who are a bit little bit you know lazy or you know just not bothered about certain things but actually when you admit that you can find a ton of energy to put in all the actions and uh it's quite special in a way to be able to to do that um when you know you can't really focus on anything else in your life it seems at the time i think that's really well stated jack i think that's and sometimes you know with like the waking up in the morning thing people would give me a hard time about that for quite a while that took years you know to do that but it's you know really about the willingness like what you were talking about and and wanting to do it yeah a hundred percent i think the other thing that's important to talk about with step one is is rock bottom um because i think you know we talk about rock bottom as being the the last drink or you know the thing that brought you in and i know from my experience my rock bottom or the thing that made me decide that that was going to be my last drink was not the worst of my drinking like my rock bottom was my sister's birthday so my Mm. my sobriety date is is the 19th of march 2017 so the Mm. the day after my sister's birthday um and it wasn't it wasn't the worst like there had been other times where you know i'd been out until you know the following night from when i'd started i had like two three day binges there were nights where I'd done horrendous things and really, really hurt people and upset people and, you know, like got myself in really dangerous situations and, you know, what have you. But my last drink was literally in a restaurant with my family for my sister's birthday, red wine, tequila and margaritas. I ended up throwing up in the toilet of the restaurant with my sister looking after me on her birthday. And then Mm. I went home and then I went home. That was it. That was my last drink. And I woke up the next morning my sister and I were both living with my parents at the time. Mm-hmm. And I went downstairs and did all the usual, I'm sorry's and it will never happen again and all of that. And my sister just looked at me and said, I knew it was going to happen. I knew wow. that you were, I knew you were going to make it all about you. I knew that this was going to be a mess. I knew that I was going to end up looking after you. I just knew it was going to happen. And that was the first time she'd actually said that to me. She'd always been the person that had been like, it's fine, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. And the fact that she being the last person who was kind of fighting my corner and she was done, for me, that was enough. And, you know, I think what I would say to the listeners is like, you know, I had I had multiple times, I'm sh- as I'm sure we all did, where I woke up and said to myself, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to do it again. And it kept happening. But for me, that last that last thing with my sister was the thing that clicked for me. Um, yeah. What was your last drink like, John? Well, first of all, I want to say this, too, to the people that are listening. 
if you're feeling like, wow, you know, I'm discouraged, I feel down, there's a ton of hope for you, um, you know, and, and there, you can have a lot of fun in sobriety. And maybe that's, you know, something I'd like to talk about a little bit about at the end, because, you know, I mentioned a music festival, I was able to go back to festivals like that and help hold, hold meetings and support people in their recovery there. So just want to say that. Um, <laughs> the last one. So here, here's like the epitome of the whole thing, right? This is why I think it really was enough because literally the Sunday night before my finals week was supposed to start in school, the person I was getting things from got busted by the police and I could no longer get the things that I wanted that I had planned to use on a camping trip on spring break. And instead of studying, I literally spent the entire week trying to find those things. That's how I spent all my time. What a lot of, at least that I can remember the rest is probably sleeping till 11. Let's be real. And, and I spent all my time doing that. So everything else comes at the expense. And, you know, one of the things that it's talked about, and this is not my original quote, but the job of the alcoholic and the addict is to protect and defend their right to drink and use. And so I will do that at all costs. So don't get in my way because you know, all, all bets are off. So that was it. And then uh, I did go on spring break. I ended up on the East coast and, you know, it was just, I was dancing on a roof, smoking a cigarette and I like kind of cracked my rib. I don't know. I did something to my rib and I like woke up the next day and, you know, I was just really, really miserable. And actually this is, you know, that, that was sort of the last drink. I did have one drink it's kind of funny, but I kind of want to cover this part of the story because, you know, the moment that I had, we talk about the moment I was, uh, I've been Catholic school basically forever. And uh, a priest from the, uh, was a Jesuit actually, who were very recovery friendly um, and supportive of this and sat down next to me and I was loaded up and I couldn't have the conversation I wanted to with this person. I was not available for that. It was so unmanageable. And instead of like really wanting to be myself and be sociable with this guy, I gave him my computer to watch a movie because I couldn't handle it. I just couldn't handle the situation. And when I came back, like, I think I had like a pretty clear feeling that I was going to have to stop. And I think I remember having a conversation with my roommate where I was like, dude, like this was pretty bad. Like, I think I need to stop. And then had one like drunk that was like kind of lonely with one of my best friends. And then that Friday I was in the dorm room and I had planned to start my recovery that Saturday. So this is April 5th, 2013. I was watching a baseball game with some friends and I had one Stella Artois and uh, I was going to go for a second or maybe I had two. And I think I was going to go for the third. And then I said, you know what? No, I'm going to start my recovery tomorrow. And that was the last time I drank. So you know, very uh, anticlimactic. Yeah. I think it really started, you know, two weeks before that, where I spent the entire week trying to find those things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Jack, what was your last drink like? Um, pretty horrific. I, uh, it was like three weeks in a row. I basically didn't drink during the first lockdown without AA. Looking back, I was crazy during that time and, and you know, mentally. Um, and But I thought I'd, you know, cracked not drinking. So then it opened up again. And then I went on a kind of six-week rampage. And I think three weeks in a row, just 
the Thursday nights, just said I wasn't going to do it the next week, um, accelerated, you know, into drugs, um, just only when I was drinking, but um, I think that kind of accelerated the whole process into here, which I'm kind of grateful for now. Um, and then, yeah, three weeks in a row, basically, just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, ramped myself up, had a good, like, recovered at the weekend, had a good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then it just creep, creep up on me again on Thursday. And like a third week in a row, I walked, I nearly maxed out my credit cards, walked back in uh, to my parents' house at the time because I literally uh, ran out of money for, for rent and um, walked in, yeah, the third Friday, Friday morning at like 4.30 a.m. in a row. Um, and my dad was standing there and I just said, I've had enough. And, um, and I was at AA two days later and, and that was that. Um, and then I think we should speak just a little bit, as John mentioned, about, you know, our lives now. Me and Alex, we were speaking about, you know, both being at party, parties yesterday, um, you know, bottomless brunches and parties where there's other drugs and things going around. And, you know, we the, the one thing which I don't have anymore is the obsession about, you know, should I drink? Should I not drink? Should I do this? Should I not? Exactly. Drink? Should I drive so I don't drink? And, and for me yeah release of that in my in my mind is the most freeing part of the 12-step program and you know being able just to speak freely and not worry about what drink is in my hand at any one time or should I you know go off and do drugs with those guys or not and um you know yes you feel a little bit anxious and you have to get used to socializing sober and that's a little bit of a journey but it's humbling and it's you know you feel good after um you know and um i think we'll probably all share experiences of i think yeah john you said you're out last night as well you know we, we can live our lives we don't need drugs and alcohol to do that anymore and um and you know we didn't or I, I certainly didn't before i came in um think that that was possible in any way so um you know i think that's the best thing about the the program from, from my experience yeah uh, a hundred percent. I mean, like you said, we were we were talking about this before we started recording. I was at a bottomless brunch for my friend's birthday yesterday, and nice. Yeah, and you had already um, hit bottom, so <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was hilarious because so the girls that I was with, they were all drinking bottomless prosecco. So like, as you're drinking, they're coming round. You drank like a sip, and they come and refill your glass. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that this place that we went to had an amazing selection of non-alcoholic drinks, like really, really amazing, like 15 different types of juices, mm. like smoothies. It was, I will, it was amazing. Like loads of different like smoothies wow. and all sorts of stuff. It was so great. And I actually posted it on my Instagram and wrote like, this is how you offer non-alcoholic options at a bottomless brunch. Like this is what nice. you do because it was, it was so fun. And the thing that I found hilarious was at the end when we finished, like, I think we were there for like two hours. All of the people that I, I was with had like half a glass left of Prosecco in their glasses and they left it there. And I was like, what? How are you able to leave it there? And that just reminded me, if I had been drinking with them in that situation, I would have drunk more than double probably what they had all drunk. And if they'd left a little bit of Prosecco in their glass, I would have downed every single glass before I left just to make sure that none of the alcohol went to waste. And what my step wow. one tells me is that when I know that I'm powerless over alcohol and that my life had become unmanageable, and I'm really, really sure of that, I now can go into those situations and know that I don't need to drink. 
you know, yeah. as long as I have my step one and I know that no matter what I do, I don't need to pick up a drink. I can do stuff like that. And John, you mentioned that you, you kind of been doing festivals and stuff. What, what does yeah. that look like for you? Well, talk about unimaginable. What actually just came to mind is, you know, with finishing everybody's glass, it's like when you go to a birthday party and there's half the cake left and you're like, I can't let this go to waste. I need to finish the rest of this for everybody. So that's one funny thing. Yeah. So, uh, wow. Been to some incredible places sober. Um, I am unusual in that I kept going to raves right as I got sober. Um, I'm not saying I recommend that for anyone. Uh, maybe I did cool off a bit after I went to the big one in Vegas. So, so I ended up going to that one with some of my best friends and they barely drank the entire time. But I'll say this, I did have a moment when I first got, it was in Vegas. So when I first got out where I was like saying there was serenity prayer repeatedly, because I was like, please God, like, don't, you know, don't let me use. Uh, and I, I don't think I was going to, but in any case, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. I love live music. It's a part of my higher power. It's absolutely, and I'm just going to plug the Grateful Dead uh, because I think they're the greatest band of all time and they're a big part of my higher power. So I'll like go follow them on tour. So I've seen this one band like 19 times wow. um, and I've been to probably, this is going to sound a little ego-based, but I've been to probably like, I think like 160 sober shows, concerts, since I've been, since I've been sober. Um, so that was like a really big part. And like, I would feel like I was in, you know, church, I don't know, I'm non-religious, but like, I, I'd feel a power greater than myself in the music. And so I would go to those places. So, you know, everything like Coachella, Burning Man, actually, I could say this too, at, at uh, Burning Man, they have, they have a camp that's dedicated to that and the last burn, um, I did about four in a row. And the last one, we had like 160 sober people with, wow. uh, with, you know, they had like 13 meetings a day or something like that, recovery yoga, you know, and, and like a lot of people think, oh, like you know, places like that, like, you know, everybody's drugs and alcohol. Honestly, you'd miss half the thing if you were under the influence. Like the stuff is more, I find things way more interesting sober because i'm available and i'm actually gonna remember it you know and like i don't remember like every song of like all the shows and stuff i go to but i felt good when i was there and the thing is is that i always went there with the intention of the music so any nightclub anything like that i wouldn't even go near the bar maybe to get water but it, the thing was it wasn't even a part of the thought anymore yeah. so like i never even questioned whether or not i should go to this stuff this is just where i was at i'm just saying that it's a disclaimer because why would I want to use? I didn't want to do that. It would, it would, it would screw up, you know, the sober high that I had going. Yeah. So I did that. And, and, uh, you know, I traveled through Europe. I got to speak at meetings in a couple different countries, usually, uh, plug, plug for people. If you're the visitor from out of town, they usually want you to talk. So, yeah. so if you're like me, loves, loves to, loves to, loves to speak. It's a great way to do that. Um, so yeah, you know, all that great stuff. And like, I wasn't super involved on the stuff that was happening on campus at my uni. Um, but in a way I was, cause I was, you know, something else fun that I did was focus on helping other students at that school. So, you know, as long as I've had a purpose and then the last thing I'll say is, you know, going to the festivals, they do this a lot in the U S but they'll have like meetings. They'll have kind of like a tent, which is like a safe space, you know, and it's incredible to sit at the table at this tent with a big, big table full of candy, which I love. 
<laughs> and, um, you know, people come by and like you watch them like in desperation and they're like, you know, like, oh, my God, I'm so glad this is here. And that's what it's all about. Right. And then you also get the other people who are, I think you mentioned sober curious or not. And maybe they're interested in sobriety, I guess you would say, but they come and they ask questions and it's great. And then they see people. Wow. There's people that are here and they're not doing that. Some people can't imagine, but other people are like, wow, that actually sounds pretty good. So anyways, I think having fun is super important. I think there needs to be the right intention. And also it's great to have a sober crew of people because sometimes when you're by yourself, like I do go to stuff by myself sometimes, but you know, you need to be, I need to be connected with a power greater than myself. Cause then I'm never alone. Yeah. A hundred percent. Amazing. On that wonderful note, we're going to start to wrap up. Um, John, what is something that you're grateful for today? Uh, I'd say the opportunity to do this because I, you know, I love this. I love this kind of stuff. Um, not just because I love talking about myself, but because, <laughs> uh, but because I think it's really important, you know, and I, and if you're young and you're old or whatever, however you look at yourself, um, and you're trying to get sober, I want to say, you know, there's a ton of hope for you. You, you too can recover if you have the capacity to be honest and you can, you can have an amazing life. Absolutely amazing life. Um, if you, you know, you do the work and that's how you get the results. Yeah. For me, you know, for someone who wanted something for doing nothing, you know, and couldn't get out of bed before 11 o'clock in the morning, I have a pretty incredible life. And it's all thanks, you know, to this process of recovery that we're talking about. Yeah. Thank you. Jack, what are you grateful for today? Um, yeah, I think, well, it's not technically today. It was yesterday. But, um, you know, I have got sober in lockdown. I haven't right had an opportunity to, like, socialize a lot. I went to my um, best mate from school's 30th birthday yesterday, which was one of the first you know, proper social events I did. I hadn't spoken to him in probably five five years and and you know reconnected with him in sobriety and now you know we hang out at least once every couple of weeks and you know just the opportunity to be present there not have the obsession of whether I was going to drink or not and just sit in the sunshine and um you know be in bed at 11 11 30 and be up early for for this and you know now have the ability to enjoy my my weekends is, is something I didn't think was possible before so mm. that's what I'm grateful for yeah I am grateful for waking up on a sunny Sunday morning without a hangover, honestly, honestly, because I mean, a few of the people that I was with, like went to the pub after the bottomless brunch and probably kept going for quite a long time afterwards, um, which is the point at which I ducked out and went home. Um, but the, like I was able to show up for my friend, you know, it was her birthday and I could be there and not have made the whole thing about me and not end up throwing up all over myself. And yeah, I woke up this morning without a hangover. So thank God for that. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you so much, John and listeners for joining us. We will be back next week with another speaker and a topic. Please do like and subscribe. If you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we would love to hear from you. So send us a message on Instagram at Young and Sober Podcast or email us at outlook.com. That is it for yet another episode. We are young and sober. Thank you.